Greetings. We hope you enjoy this podcast of a Science for the Public program. If you'd like to see the video of this program, just search the title on our website under the Archives tab at the top of the homepage, www.scienceforthepublic.org. Good afternoon. I'm Yvonne Stapp for Science for the Public, and I welcome you to Contemporary Science Issues and Innovations. Today we learn about the crisis of antibiotic resistance, a potential solution, and the ways that bacteria foil attempts to destroy them, both in nature and in medicine. Our guest is Gautam Dantas, Professor of Pathology and Immunology, Biomedical Engineering, and Molecular Microbiology at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, Missouri. Dr. Dantas' lab combines genomic and computational technologies to reveal why antibiotic resistance develops so readily, making a number of diseases very difficult to cure. The work of the Dantas lab is truly comprehensive and has uncovered fascinating microbial mechanisms important in both medicine and for science in general. We're connecting with Dr. Dantas via Google Hangouts, and we appreciate the opportunity to learn about the discoveries and innovations of his lab. Dr. Dantas, welcome, and thank you very much for joining us today, and we're going to learn a lot. Um, you've done all this remarkable work on the antibiotic resistance. We have apparently a really bad situation with antibiotics. Could you give us a little background on that, please? And then we'll see how antibiotics work from you. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, Yvonne. It's my pleasure to be here. Uh, something that's pretty dear to my heart in the work that our lab does. And so uh, just for definitional purposes, so antibiotics are any small molecule uh, which can be used to either inhibit the growth of or kill bacteria. Uh, sometimes they're called antimicrobials, sometimes mm -hmm. antibacterials. I'm going to use the word antibiotics. Um, they've been around uh, in terms of clinical use for almost a century. So the early discovery of penicillin sort of setting off that trend by Fleming. And um, there's this amazing period between 1940 and 1960 when all of the major classes of antimicrobials were discovered, really from screening bugs mm. from the soil that could produce these compounds. Uh, and it changed the face of the treatment of infectious diseases, right? So uh, it used to be that the potential for death from a pretty you know, simple scratch or infection was pretty high. Uh, antimicrobials completely changed that, that game. And of course, as is with any uh, uh, selection that would happen with bacteria, any attempt to uh, you know, fight bacteria or, or, or you know, suppress their growth, they kind of fought back through mm -hmm. this process of antibiotic resistance. Mm -hmm. Um, but the good news was that while that was occurring, sort of predictable that evolution would occur with resistance, we had all of these new drugs coming to market. Mm -hmm. There's this incredible pipeline uh, harvesting nature's bounty, if you will. But unfortunately, roughly around 1960 to 1970, that, that pipeline, at least in the way it worked for the, those past couple decades, uh, uh, sort of you know dried up. Um, and so what that meant was there were no new classes of antimicrobials discovered between 1960 until almost the 2000s. Um, unfortunately, those bacteria that were being targeted did not slow down themselves. Right. And so while the production pipelines sort of or discovery pipelines flatlined, or at least in fact even started decreasing, resistance continued to increase. Right. So that's the, the framing of the problem, right? right? So we've got these amazing wonder drugs. They're helping us fight infections. 
but then we kind of run out of discovering new ones. Resistance keeps going up. And so we get to this stage now where we're facing what's, what some people call a post-antibiotic era, right? Yes. This possibility that the, the, those rates have crossed so dramatically where resistance has gone all the way up and development continues to decline that we face this possibility that common infections that were curable in that last century now have become so resistant to so many classes of antimicrobials that we've run out of treatment options. Right. Uh, you bring up uh, uh, elsewhere that um, these very serious problems uh, what you see very often in hospitals where patients are uh, very compromised in terms of their immune system. You talk about uh, MRSA, for example, and I will spell that out on the screen. But could you give us a couple of examples like that where we're really in danger at this time? Yes. Yeah. So you bring up a good point that, you know, all bugs are not created equal. And so there are ones that are more dangerous and more drug resistant than others. Um, and the CDC and the WHO mm -hmm. maintain these lists of the bugs that are causing uh, significant problems, not just in terms of the infectivity, but in terms of the fact that they're hard to treat because they're multi-drug resistant. So mm -hmm. um, first, you know, let me just introduce some of the players and then I can tell you what their burden is. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned MRSA, methicillin-resistant mm -hmm. mm -hmm. staph aureus. Uh, you know, until a couple of decades ago, even though there were MRSA infections, uh, the levels were pretty low compared to what we saw, especially over the last couple of decades. Um, interestingly, MRSA, or at least staph aureus, the non-resistant version, uh, is otherwise a happy member of our skin and nasal microbiomes, right? So uh -huh. it's something that we've grown up with, if you will, as humans. Uh, but then because of its ability to sometimes invade, you know, beyond the skin and into the soft tissue, and then eventually in some cases in the bloodstream, it can sometimes cause infections. Luckily, we had drugs to treat that. But as MRSA was treated with more and more of those drugs, resistant mutants emerged. Mm -hmm. And then we got to the scourge problem with MRSA, where in the U.S., for instance, um, Virtually half of the people who die from drug-resistant infections currently die from, die from drug-resistant MRSA infections, right? Uh, and again, even though it's called MRSA, which is resistance to methicillin, it's picked up resistance mm -hmm. to a large number of other antimicrobials, and that's the problem. Uh, so that's, I think it's roughly 11,000 Americans die from uh, MRSA infections each year, um, and r roughly 20 to 25,000 in total die from other drug-resistant infections. But it's not a uniquely American problem. Right, so the estimate is some in the order of three quarters to one million people around the planet die from uh, drug-resistant infections. Um, and obviously the, there's that huge toll in terms of just those lives lost, but also the folks who do survive, their treatment and the days lost in terms of the hospitalization also encodes an incredible burden on both the U.S. as well as the global economy. So if you translate the U.S. costs in terms of how much we estimate we lose, it's on the order of 50 to $60 billion yeah, a year yeah. a loss on those treatments. And so um, the other players that, that are worth mentioning uh, who, who cause these drug-resistant infections are names that I think a lot of people would recognize. E. coli, yeah. uh, Klebsiella, Acinetobacter, Pseudomonas. And what tends to be unique with a lot of these microbes that are particularly problem in terms of drug-resistant infections is they tend to be able to grow in lots of different habitats, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So they're these sort of cosmopolitan microbes that can grow in the environment, they can invade the body, and uh, uh, particularly problematic, they seem to be able to colonize the surfaces of our hospitals. Uh, so as you yes. can imagine, you come in and you're sick, you're most vulnerable in terms of maybe not even an infection, you're trying to get your hip replaced, so you have cancer chemotherapy, your immune system is depressed, and that's when these bugs 
who have adapted to all of these different niches can get in, and then we can't treat them because we've run out of drugs. Right. Uh, there, before we, I want to spend most of the time on the work that your lab has done, which is sure. particularly interesting, but before we go to that, I'd like to clarify how antibiotics work. And I sure. think that you have pointed out they go after everything, not just the bug you're, that I want to get clarified. And then how they develop that resistance. What is there about bacteria or microbes that uh, is so good at resisting? Sure, great questions. And sort of the underpinnings of really everything that we do. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One, um, so the first question then is, how do they work? What, mm -hmm. you know, what is their mechanism of action? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I think you said it perfectly that uh, the reason they're so effective almost as part of their definition is because they happen to target the most conserved parts of bacterial life. Mm -hmm. And so even though from a clinical perspective, we think of antibiotics as being against pathogens, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, the reason mm -hmm. they work against such a large number of pathogens is because they target things that all bacteria have. Oh, okay. Um, all right. And so what are the type of things that all bacteria might share? Uh, their cell wall, right? It's what keeps the cell yeah, intact. Yeah. So some antibiotics like penicillin, for instance, poke holes in that cell wall, and that's how the cell sort of breaks apart, and that's how it's killed. Okay. Other, other key processes that are targeted by antibiotics are, for instance, transcription, right? The reading of DNA and uh, uh, the, the creating of mRNA. Uh, there's translation, which is the creating of proteins. Right. Uh, there's DNA replication. Yeah. So every one of these, these processes that are required for cells to live, to divide, and to grow are the ones that antimicrobials target, right? Uh, and again, again, it's basically within the definition that that's what they would do, uh, because if they didn't do that, then you wouldn't be able to kill them. Yes. Right? Um, so again, if you think of this from an evolutionary perspective, it makes sense that if those are the most conserved parts of bacterial life, there have already been processes in place since the sort of advent of the bacterial kingdom, you know, millions of years ago, uh, of having protection mechanisms against those uh, vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is jumping the gun a little bit, but it kind of makes sense if you think about why antibiotic resistance is so widespread mm -hmm. is because there are already processes in place to protect these targets even before antibiotics may have come on the right, scene. Right. So a good example of a general mechanism of resistance uh, is uh, active efflux pumps. So this is just the idea that for most antibiotics, they need to get into the bacterial cell to be able to have their impact on the ribosome for translations, for example. So an easy way to not get killed is just to keep that drug out. Right? So one key part of that is having these active pumps that recognize the antimicrobials. As soon as it comes in, it gets pumped up. And so if the intracellular concentration is low, your bug is not going to get killed. A parallel mechanism with that is just not letting it in. Uh -huh. uh, and so MRSA is one of these organisms that has this ability where over time it can thicken its cell wall and not let the microbes, in, uh, the antibiotics in. So that's one mechanism of resistance. Another two mechanisms of resistance that are pretty tightly uh, related are modifying the antibiotic itself. Right? Ah. So basically breaking down the offense mm -hmm. molecule. Mm -hmm. So that can either happen through cleavage, so the actual you know, cutting or dis destruction of the, of the antibiotic, or by actually decorating it, actually adding some chemistry onto the compound. So not breaking it down per se, but what you're doing is, is you're changing its structure in a way it can no longer find its target, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, the, the, the canonical example of this, uh, the enzymes called the beta-lactamases, so these are the enzymes that break down penicillin and every one of the penicillin compounds, where penicillin has this very, very important structure in it called the beta-lactam ring. That's the reason it works. That's its mechanism of action, how it breaks down the cell wall. 
these enzymes come in and cut it and voila, it's no longer an antibiotic mm -hmm. molecule. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last mechanism of action uh, is uh, the bacteria mutating to change their own targets yeah. themselves, yeah. right? Uh, so that's a way in which, you know, uh, it's not an easy thing for the bacteria to do because these are conserved uh, targets. So they can't just willy-nilly accumulate mutations because they fall apart. But over time, mutations can get selected, which, for instance, will maybe occlude the binding, right? Mm -hmm. So the antibiotic is going to come in. It needs to bind to the particular target to mess it up. Uh, so a, a good example of this uh, are this class of drugs called the quinolones. So ciprofloxacin, you know, something that was used during the anthrax outbreaks uh, in the early 2000s. Um, so ciprofloxacin goes in and it binds DNA as it's being replicated. Right. Um, and so uh, there are or actually it doesn't bind DNA, it binds these enzymes that hold the DNA open while it's being replicated. So bacteria figure out ways in which they can make mutant versions of those 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 proteins. They can still do the DNA replication, but they can't be impacted by yeah, the antibiotics. Right. So so that's sort of a quick summary of how the micro microbes are impacted by the antibiotics, how they're killed by them. Right. Uh, and then how they respond. One thing I like to always mention is, so Paul Ehrlich, one of these early discoverers and, and, uh, of antibiotics, called antibiotic magic bullets, right? Uh, this, uh, this concept that they're going to be very targeted. And it's turned out, as we understand antibiotic action and resistance, that a bullet is not actually an appropriate term here because uh -huh. it suggests the specificity. Mm -hmm. uh, we really want to think of antibiotics more like magic shotguns, yeah, right? right? Because they have targets distributed across all microbes that they will see, which also then plays into some of the work we and others have done to show that when you deploy an antibiotic into a group of microbes, it's not just the pathogen that's impacted, it's everyone else. Yeah, that I really wanted to make get that one clear that you had brought that out so well. Well, so far, it sounds like intelligent life. I think, you know, that, <laughs> and we ought to respect them a little more, maybe. But I'd like also now to shift and spend most of our time on your lab. You have done sure. some remarkable things, and you Thank have you. Uh, a group of people that have worked all over the world and discovered a number of remarkable features of the, uh, the microbial world in general, but of, uh, of these antibiotics biotics in nature, so to speak, that they're just yeah. everywhere. But in any case, this very special lab, you have a multiple uh, approach uh, 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 to getting at this stuff. Can you explain like what you're looking for in general? Sure. And you have many wonderful examples in that lab of brilliant Great, thank people. You. <laughs> I'll start off by again, you know, just uh, reiterating what you said. Uh, I'm here as a spokesperson of the wonderful people I, I get to represent. And so, you know, I use the royal we, but really all of the hard work and the actual data generation that the folks I have the privilege of working with. Um, uh, so what is it that we do and what yeah. motivates us? Um, the the approaches that methods, we take yeah. are sort of within the umbrella of A, recognizing that microbes live everywhere on our planet in yeah. communities. Um, and a lot of their functions, both in terms of responding to perturbation and the encoded resilience and resistance tend to be these community level functions. And so what we want to understand is through that almost ecological lens, yeah. can we understand a problem like antibiotic yeah. resistance? Yeah, yeah. Right, and so uh, one of the fundamental questions that we like to ask from an evolutionary perspective is, where does resistance come from? Mm -hmm. um, and then how does it transmit between microbes across habitats? Yes. Right? 
Uh, and so why do you ask, why would you even want to ask that question? Because we already sort of fundamentally know what the mechanisms of resistance are. The reason it matters is because of two things. One is the microbes themselves can transmit across these artificially defined yes. habitats by humans, right? We might call something environmental versus clinical yes. versus agricultural. Yes. The microbes don't care about those exactly. definitions, right? They can right. traverse those. So the, the reason to, to, to think about that is because that means that our arbitrary definition of a habitat uh, might mean that a selection pressure in habitat A can transmit over to habitat B. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, so a concrete example of that is antimicrobial use in food animals and agriculture yes. may end up having consequences in terms of antibiotic resistant yes. bacteria Thanks in for the human that population. Yes. So that's one. The second part of it gets back a little back to sort of mechanism of how bacteria evolve, right? So now let's not even worry specifically about resistance. How do they evolve anything? Uh, we know that bacteria evolve functions in one way exactly like we do at the population scale, and that's by traditional Darwinian evolution, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. concept that we have populations, our populations give rise to the next generation of populations, so us and our progeny, and in that process, mistakes occur, right? So right. in terms of DNA replication. Those mistakes at a population level can sometimes be problematic, deleterious, and sometimes can be beneficial, all based on the selection pressure. So for a bacterium, what that means is because they have massive populations mm -hmm. and they divide very quickly, right. is every time a, a new bacterium is made by, by cell division, you know, the new guys that are made exponentially have slight variations in their bacterial genome. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those variations, just by chance, might give that bacterium a resistance property. It might change that target that I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier on, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that's one way in which resistance occurs, right? Uh, and again, that's exactly how basically all life evolves. But bacteria also have access to this other incredible mechanism that we don't. Right. Uh, and that's called horizontal gene transfer. Yes. So the, the earlier part in comparison is called vertical transfer because it's vertically through generations. Horizontal gene transfer is the ability of bacteria to take genes between one bacterium and the other and very easily exchange them back and forth. Right. Uh, and so what that means is in one single event, one molecular event, over the course of seconds, right? Uh, a bacterium that is entirely susceptible to many antibiotics can borrow genes from a bug that is resistant uh, to lots okay. of other ones, and through that process, resistance can move over. Right. It's because of those two features, right, that we need to think about where does resistance come from? You know, yes. where are the yes. original habitats that resistance was evolved? And right. then what are the likelihoods that they will hop over into new microbes? Exactly. So then the genes themselves can transfer as well as the bugs themselves. So right. everything that our lab does, all of the, the, the studies we do in terms of going to microbiomes in different countries and different habitats under different selection pressures, microbiomes under different types of antibiotic insults yes. over time, they're all framed from that perspective, right? right? That the habitats right. are right. connected, they're also connected by gene transfer, and then we can ask the sort of the risk of those transfers occurring and eventually causing problems in the clinic. Right. Okay. Then have, knowing all of that, and again, you have looked at this all over the place, uh, and that this resistance apparently evolves or exists whether people have been exposed to antibiotics and populations that have never been exposed in soils everywhere, all over the place. That resistance is a part of the thing, and that resistance evolves of, uh, in uh, multiple ways, that are a, cu a couple of ways. R okay, and now 
in terms of understanding that how this develops, how does your lab, some of the ways that your lab does that, please? Right. Yeah, great, great point there, because one thing that we try to emphasize, and I try to emphasize every time I give a talk, is that it's a dispel this myth that we as humans created antibiotic resistance, yeah, right? right? Antibiotic right. resistance is ancient. It's in fact a natural feature of all microbial yeah, ecosystems. Right. Now, the reason for that is because all of these wonder drugs that we discovered, as I said in the beginning, were, were found as predominantly natural products of soil bacteria. Mm -hmm. And it's been dated now in terms of the, the genetics that underpin the production capacities of antibiotics to be as old as bacteria are, millions mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. maybe billions mm -hmm. of years, right? Um, and so it makes sense that if those producer microbes in the soil had the capacity to make these incredible offense molecules, that they would themselves have protection against those molecules, otherwise mm -hmm. they would commit suicide as soon as those antimicrobials made. And they also then gave all of their neighbors the selection pressure uh, along those many, many eons to become resistant to. So this is something that was called the producer hypothesis that was put forth over 40 years ago. What our lab has done is use modern genomic techniques to test that hypothesis, mm -hmm. right? Or to explicitly test the hypothesis that we of course, by because the evidence exists that the original resistance evolved in the soil, mm -hmm. right? The question from an actionable perspective is, is that still happening now, right? Are pathogens acquiring resistance genes in sort of real time mm -hmm. from that existing reservoir of resistance in the soil? So that's one of the experiments that we published on in the early days of the lab, mm -hmm. where we went and we cultured up bacteria from the soil uh, to have this rather remarkable property of being, A, exceptionally resistant to antibiotics. Yeah, yeah. And the experiment was simple. You basically dunk soil into media that contains antibiotics at exceptionally high yeah, concentrations. Yeah. Anything that doesn't survive is killed off. Anything that survives is clearly able to resist the antibiotics, right? right? And actually, that led to two avenues of research that are both related to antibiotics and resistance. One was giving us the tools, or actually the examples, of exceptionally resistant bacteria in the soil who themselves had no evidence of being pathogenic, of causing disease, but had cassettes of antibiotic resistance genes, right, that looked identical to cassettes that we found yeah. in pathogens, yeah. right? Yeah. And by applying this assay of first going for, you know, culturing up these exceptionally uh, resistant microbes, and then also uh, applying another assay, which allows us to, in high throughput, capture all their resistance genes, uh, in a method that is a proxy for horizontal gene transfer. So it's a it's a model of the way horizontal gene transfer works. And basically the way it works is we take all of that DNA from those microbes, yeah. transfer them artificially into an easy to use microbe, and then ask, have we turned that microbe resistant, right? So we yes. run kind of evolution and fast forward, if you will. And through those two techniques, the growth assays and this, this method called functional metagenomics, yes. the jargon doesn't matter, but it's this idea of, of a model for horizontal gene transfer. For the first time now, we provided evidence of multi-drug resistant exchange over sort of recent timescales between benign soil microbes and pathogens. So that was one, one, one deliverable from that. But we also, uh, almost in a sideways fashion, discovered uh, perhaps at least to us more bizarre uh, phenomenon in soil microbes from that same experiment yeah. uh, where we discovered microbes not only able to resist those antibiotics at high concentrations, 
but they, we found microbes that were surviving on the antibiotics. That is oh, to say, yes. they were using antibiotics as their sole source of food. Yes. And yes. Th to us, that was completely shocking. That was actually uh, work that I did when I was a postdoc. I started yes. off when I was a postdoc in George Church's lab in yes. Boston. Um, and again, we stumbled across that discovery. We were surprised. In fact, we had to repeat the experiment two or three times before we convinced ourselves it was real. Right, because we're taught in the clinic that these privileged molecules. So how is it that there are these weird bugs that can eat them? Uh, but in doing so, out of just the, you know, initially there was the phenomenon that was exciting to discover. But then we started asking mechanistic questions. What does this tell us about the history yes. of antibiotics? What does it tell us about how resistance evolves? Uh, and it actually took us 10 years to figure out how these bugs do it. We just had a paper led by one of my postdocs last year that was finally published on the mechanism of how a group of these bizarre soil microbes are able to eat penicillin as their sole source of energy. Right. I want right. to underscore that point, too, because I thought that was uh, that had to be an enormous discovery right there. And I think that was what your serendipity idea, which is on your shirt, was about. You Nobody expected that. And it is uh, astounding to think that they're That's very exactly specialized. Right. It, it, it right. caught us up, you know, out of, you know, it came out of the blue for us. We, yeah, yeah. we were not intending to even test that idea. <laughs> uh, the serendipity part actually was because we were looking for microbes in the soil with weird activities. But we were actually looking for activities related to producing biofuels yes. right, from breaking down okay. plants. The, the antibiotic stuff was initially just a negative control. I we were trying see. to be good scientists. Right? Right, right. But then when we found this robust growth of microbes from the soil on antibiotics, we said, we need to figure it out. We didn't, I think, anticipate at that time that it would take us a decade to figure out how. But yeah. you know, we're happy yeah. that we figured it out finally. Um, and, yeah, and so in doing so, however, there was now finally a connection back to resistance, right? So one was obviously the, the connection I already told you about these highly drug resistant bugs uh, are the ones that appear to be exchanging resistance between the soil and, and the clinic. But the, when we figured out the pathways of how those, those antibiotics are converted into sort of cellular energy, we found that the first committing step, the, the most important enzymatic step mm -hmm. before those bugs can eat those compounds is an antibiotic resistant gene. I and see. as I already mentioned before these beta lactamases. Yes. So because they have to eat a toxic compound, it now sort of intuitively makes sense. What are you going to do before you can eat a toxin? You're going to detoxify it. Right. 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 So the first thing they do as these bacteria is that they express at high levels these enzymes which are the same enzymes that pathogens use to defeat penicillin, they mm. break that mm, particular mm, warhead, mm. right? Mm -hmm. In fact, um, I'll go off the screen for a second. Um, you know, this is from my old organic uh, chemistry, so you can see it, but yes, um, you, can. you know, it has, it has this part. This is the beta-lactam warhead, right? And it's this particular part that the enzyme goes and breaks. Right? I see. Uh, and so, so, so once that happens, then the rest of it is carbon for the taking. Yeah. And so then the rest of the, even though they were tedious experiments, the, the, the devil is in those details of how they do Absolutely. it. So if you just distill it all down, it's like you detoxify it. Now you can, you know, almost slowly figure out which parts to chew off and what we showed were which parts they did chew off. Right. Um, and then the silver lining out of that particular study that, again, hopefully adds back to our, you know, interest in how do we use antibiotics yes. well. Yes, yes. Uh, was we were able to then engineer, a, based on the information we got from these soil bugs, we use that to engineer as a proof of concept a strain of E. coli that could also utilize penicillin as a sole yes, carbon source. Yes, now, yes. On its own, that might seem like a silly thing to do. Why do you want to release something like E. coli to eat penicillin? We didn't do that to release any bugs. Right. We did it because we wanted to prove the possibility 
of engineered microbes that could be used to bioremediate antibiotic contamination. Okay, Because right? one of the things that we think, uh, and not just us, but a lot of people have shown this, that drives uh, the levels of resistance, especially in environments to go up, yes. which will eventually come to us, is the sort of inappropriate use of antibiotics. Yes, dropping of antibiotics from agriculture. Yes, the, the the inappropriate disposal of antibiotics when they're made in large factory farms. And so, obviously, we don't want to incentivize that in any way. Right. But we want to recognize if there's a problem with contamination, we can again turn back to microbes, either natural microbes in this case, engineered ones, to maybe part of the solution. To, to degrade these particular antibiotics right. as pollutants. I would like, thank you for bringing up this uh, kind of excessive use of antibiotics. There's an article just this week, they're now gonna spring the orange trees in Florida, you know, and, and yep. it's just very careless. And I hope that the public is aware that this is a very serious thing. The other being that in medicines, people ask for antibiotics just to treat colds, which are viral, and that's a different thing altogether, and I hope people are aware of that. Now I'd like to get to the uh, your great innovation of creating um, a, uh, a synergy uh, 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 item. If you would explain that to us, how that works, and I'd like to know what the status of that is. To sure, yeah, no, thank thanks you. for bringing that up. So, so that's another part of our lab that still connects to our interest in resistance by saying, you know, ultimately any, any action that any living thing makes has consequences, right? And so we speculated that even when a microbe becomes sort of a better microbe from its perspective to become more resistant, perhaps in doing so, it opens up a vulnerability, mm -hmm. an Achilles heel, if you will, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And so with that framing, that very basic framing that could be applied to lots of different uh, 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 issues, we thought if we could figure out how in the process of becoming resistant, a microbe might become vulnerable to maybe another antibiotic, we could take advantage of that in combination. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the, the actual discovery I'll just describe, which was led by this graduate student, Patrick Gonzalez in my lab, was it initially came out of a high throughput screen uh, where we were looking for, you know, large numbers of FDA approved antibiotics to see whether when we combine them together, whether they would be better than the sum of their parts. Yes. Right. Yes. So uh, if they were the equal, if they were exactly, you know, like putting the same drugs together, there would be additivity. Right? So that is A plus B is equal to two parts of A. That's additivity. So you mentioned this concept of synergy. Yes. Synergy is defined as when you add two things together, somehow the activity is better exactly. than the trivial more uh, than addition. the sum. Right. So that was the first thing we were trying to look for. And one of our targets was this bug you mentioned before, MRSA, right. resistant Staph aureus. And the, the reasons are obvious. If you know we're running out of single drugs against MRSA, maybe we could come up with combinations against it. And sure enough, through this big high throughput screen, Patrick discovered that a triple combination of drugs, uh, uh, of FDA approved drugs, a particular triple combination was very effective against yes. killing all of the strains yes. we had, and it was highly synergistic. Yes. Now, the very surprising part of that discovery was that those three drugs were in exactly the same chemical class. Mm -hmm. And normally, we wouldn't even have mm. thought of combining those three drugs uh -huh. together. Because we were looking for, you know, for, for uniqueness. And so these were all in the beta-lactam class. So again, we're getting back to the penicillins. In this case, we had a, a, a something called piperacillin, which is in the normal penicillin class. We had something called uh, uh, meropenem, which is in the carbapenem class. Mm -hmm. And then we had something called tazobactam, which is in itself not an antibiotic, but was rather an inhibitor 
of the beta lactamases, right? So it works by helping things out by defeating the resistance mechanism and saving the drug. So the initial discovery was serendipity, again. again right? So there was just uh, drug screening, finding yeah. these, these drugs. And we had an option at that point in terms of what to do. We could keep screening and look for more. Or, and this is fortunately what we did, we said, this is so surprising. Let's figure out how it works. And maybe we'll figure out how it works. Uh, we'll, we, you know, we'll be able to design principles to do what happens in, uh, to, to the new uh, aspects of this in the future. And that happened. But actually, in, in figuring out the mechanism, we figured out that this triple combination had a feature that was particularly shocking to us. Hmm. And that is, not only did it work to defeat MRSA, it had this property of suppressing its ability to evolve new resistance. Oh my goodness. Which is virtually unheard of, right? Yes, at least to us. yes, yes. Um, and the way it worked was, uh, the way we figured it out was actually, we tried to break it, right? So so that's one way in which you figure out the action of things is you try to say, you, you know, let's basically try to evolve yeah. resistance against this. Right. And then you figure out the mechanism of resistance and you figure out the mechanism of action. And, and the, practically, that's a simple experiment. You take the bug itself, the MRSA, and you literally you just passage it over and over and over again into increasing concentrations of the drug, and yeah. then you see whether it evolves yeah. over time. And this is very traditional. People do this with right, all antibiotics right, right. that they got mechanism of resistance. And when we tried this for almost a couple of weeks of passaging, we just could not evolve resistance at all. That right? is amazing. Like, well, that's really bizarre. That's not yeah. something, you know, yeah. you know, evolution of resistance is a given. So yes. why does that happen? And so what helped us figure it out was even though we were trying to evolve resistance against the triple combination, we were also doing it against each of the components. So the single components yes. and the pairs. And remarkably, even though we didn't get resistance in, in any case against the triple, we did get resistance against the singles and the doubles. Oh. So that also didn't make sense to us. And that's when we stumbled across this concept called collateral sensitivity. Yes. And what collateral sensitivity describes is this case where as a bacterium becomes resistant to one antibiotic, say antibiotic A, that mechanism makes it more vulnerable to second antibiotic, antibiotic B. Okay. So it's kind of a seesaw, right? Yes. You become better at resisting one and in doing so you become worse at at, at the other. Right. And the way we figured out that collateral sensitivity was at play here was, as I told you, we had evolved MRSA against the individual compounds. We then took those evolved mutants against, say, compound A, and retested those against yeah. the rest of the uh, compounds. And sure enough, now they were much more susceptible to those. So we think, and then we're able to show what happens is, as a population of MRSA su subject to that triple antibiotic combination, they're fighting kind of three uh, nodes at the same time. As the population becomes resistant to one, that mutant in the population is now suddenly much more vulnerable to the other components, right. and that locks that MRSA in. Right? That is so, amazing. So that, basically, that paper a few years ago described that first high-throughput finding, then the mechanistic finding of how it works against yes. MRSA, and then through this amazing collaboration uh, with uh, uh, Malin Chang and Sharia Mubashri, uh, two professors at Notre Dame, they had this uh, you know really unique model of... Uh, bloodstream infection, MRSA, and mice. Right? It's very severe. Basically, in that model, MRSA given to these mice will kill the mice in a day. Yes. And they performed these experiments with our triple combination and showed that it could basically clear the infection in less than half a day. Isn't right? that amazing? Yeah. Have they tried it on humans? Or is it ready? Has it yeah, been so tested? what we've done since then is, uh, fortunately for me, a couple of students in my lab subsequently, they were not involved with the original research, but uh, you know, WashU has been doing an excellent job with uh, 
offering opportunities to graduate students who don't necessarily want to go the academic route, but maybe want to go to industry. Right. So they actually spun out a biotech company wow. uh, with WashU's uh, <laughs> uh, support to try yeah. to test out this this uh, yeah. drug now in humans. And what they've done is that the company has been set up for a couple of years. Uh, they've, uh, 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 they've, they've consulted with the FDA and have got some feedback in terms of some additional preclinical work that needed yeah, to be done yeah. to be tested in a couple other animals, you know, to test things like safety and efficacy profiles. Right, right. Uh, and so what's really neat is that this company now uh, is, uh, you know, about a year away from what they hope will be their first in-human clinical trial yes, yes. of testing, you know, now that they've got, you know, positive results on the safety and the dosing. Um you know, for full disclosure, I was a co-founder of that company, so I'm, I'm, just, I'm not trying to show for the company or anything. It's just <laughs> it's exciting for me, though, that something that originally in my lab was never designed exactly. as a commercializable yes, product. Right. We were interested in a very basic science aspect of how does resistance work and right, how we can right, defeat right, it. Right. Fortunately, by having the right people around who are interested in this, they're now running with it to try to understand, right. could this be something that could be a new way of treating infectious agents. Yes, I was going to say, this is like a whole new direction if that it works. And it seems like in principle, it should be effective, but it would solve a whole bunch of problems if this is the route to go. So you've uncovered a very important mechanism here. I mean, here, this uh, this combined yeah. and thing. That's what and understanding about how that, that obviously works. we like this triple combination yeah, to work. Right. Right. But more importantly, I think we've uncovered a, a, a way in which to repurpose exactly, old drugs. Exactly. Uh, no, of course, I'll also say we're not the only people to do this. There are right, others, right, other right. people in, in, in this field as well as other fields that have demonstrated these type of capacities, synergy and collateral right, sensitivity. Yeah. But that's what's neat is that if multiple people exactly. come to similar conclusions, Absolutely. it gives you a little bit more uh, trust in the in the principle itself. Right. And what's really neat is that a it opens up basically every single drug that was ever developed as an antibiotic is now a candidate for such type uh, of combination yeah, therapy. Yeah. But it actually goes beyond antibiotics too, right? Yes. You can consider the same principles against cancer. Yes. You can, absolutely. The same principles against anti uh, for antivirals, right? Yes. So as as long as you have more than one chemical to play with against a particular target, you can test to see whether these features. Which exist. seems to be the real insight here is understanding uh, this this trick. This is brilliant. It's very exciting. I am sorry that we have to stop at this time. No, no I could go on for days. It's most interesting. This is a fabulous lab. Before we go, I do want to mention to the audience that uh, this lab is pretty famous for your support of all these graduate students and, and postdocs, uh, and they, I am sure, put in many hours, do many talented things, but they get full credit in that lab, and it's a big lab, too, but it has done wonderful things. Thank Thank you ever so much for uh, several things for showing us that the importance of accidental discoveries of things yes. and that uh, by using uh, multiple good minds, you can solve what seemed to be an insolvable problem with this antibiotic crisis. Thank, Thank you, you ever so much and uh, best of luck to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this podcast of a Science for the Public event. Please check out our website, www.scienceforthepublic.org, for videos of all our events, 
lists of upcoming events, our weekly Sci News Roundup newsletter, and timely science information.